Greetings, friends, and welcome to Our World Openly, with me, your host, Antony Kalkowski. Today, I had the utmost privilege to speak to Akil Fletcher. Akil Fletcher is a PhD candidate studying social cultural anthropology at the University of California, Irvine, where, in his dissertation, Gaming Blackness, an Exploration of Black Gaming Communities and Practices, he explains how online black communities use digital platforms to form selfhood and relationships in gaming spaces. Based on two years of research funded by the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship Program, the NSFGRFP, a National Science Foundation Doctoral Dissertation Research Improvement Grant, the NSFDDRID, and UCI's President's Dissertation Year Fellowship. He explores the lived realities and tactics of navigation taken on by black gamers. As a digital anthropologist, Akila's work has been published in the Journal of Teaching and Learning Anthropology, the Rutledge Companion to Media Anthropology, and the UCI Esports Center. And using this work, Akil has gone on to create new opportunities for youth and students interested in games and esports, such as his work with Dr. Kishana Gray in creating Camp Kiki, a youth camp focused on teaching students about the possibilities for their love of games. Now, I was first inspired to have Akil on when I watched his UC Irvine presentation on his anthropological research on digital worlds, specifically the massive multiplayer online role-playing video game Final Fantasy. In the conversation that we have, we covered how video games relate to topics such as identity, community, economics, race, masculinity, labor in esports, Japanese Europeanness in media, sexual policing and homophobia, hierarchy and egalitarianism in gaming communities, and much more. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy the insightful company of Akil Fletcher as much as I did. All right, uh, greetings. Today I am with an exciting guest. He is a digital anthropologist. It is Akil Fletcher. Yes. So happy to have you on this Thank podcast. You. Um, so first, I would like to have us understand maybe what is the what are the variables that drew you into your research as a digital anthropologist, and why specifically focusing on video games and specifically marginalized communities such as the Black community within video games. Yeah. So. I'm gonna need to bring my energy up. My wife is like, the, the, the camera sucks energy. <laughs> anyway, um, so long story short, I got into it for a few reasons, right? So I grew up as a child of the internet. I had a computer from a very young age. And it was one of those things where my mother was like, you know, it's better that you do this than be on the street. So she invested all this money into, you know, keeping me indoors with technology for quite a bit, which semi worked. Um, 
but I spent a lot of time as a kid, you know, gaming on the computer or on the N64. Um, and one of the first times, like once we got, you know, some level of stable internet, which was, you know, dial up and very, very much cost my mom a pretty penny as a, you know, babysitter in Manhattan, you know, taking care of somebody else's kids in a lot of cases, um, meant that nobody was home. It was just me and a computer and I had unfiltered access to the internet. So I got into a lot of different games, got into, you know, a lot of Korean servers, a lot of things like that. Um, as I got older, it, it you know, it was, it was basically like all I did, whether or not it be MapleStory or Guns or anything else. But one of the first times that I experienced like flat out racism, you know, being called the N-word, all these other things, um, you know, wasn't in a store or, or by police officers, but was actually in the game. Um, and it sat with me for a little bit because as a kid, I didn't really understand it. And I was like, you know, why? And, you know, it's just whatever else, you know, my parents had sort of, you know, walked me through the basics of, of you know, anti-blackness and other things like that. But it was very glib in a lot of cases, but it was always something that that sat with me. And it was something that I always, you know, took precautions for in any cases. Um, when being online in a lot of cases and that you know, would either end up in you know arguments or defending myself or going into a lot of things um so when time for me to finally go to college i started off as a bio major um did a lot of of different things and i worked in a lab for a bit and i absolutely hated it so i was like i am changing my major biology is not for me I guess I will never be the vet that I wanted to be <laughs> um, in a lot of cases. Um, but I had fallen in love with uh, anthropology when I was doing my associates at my local community college, actually, back in Brooklyn. Um, so they were like, we don't have an anthro major. You, will, you can you know, finish off basically as your standard liberal arts or whatever else. And then when you go into your full undergrad uh, to a four-year university, you can you know, find your anthro major there. Um, so I did anthropology finished off whatever else, went into uh, my BA over at the City College of New York um, and continued, you know, just, you know, falling in love with, 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 with anthropology and the, the sort of work that was being done in a lot of cases. The classes were just so fun and fascinating. Um, but then it, it sort of hit me of like, what will I do with this degree um, when I'm done? And, you know, it's, it's I think anthropology is, is, is a fantastic major to have, but it does not have an easy answer in terms of like secondary job sourcing or what do you want to do afterwards, right? It's not like, you know, I studied law, so now I become a lawyer. I studied medicine, so now I become a doctor. It's like, do you want to be an anthropologist? And then like, what does that even mean in a lot of cases? So, you know, after a lot of thought, you know, I was um, at the time actually leaving a class in a lot of cases. I had my daughter in my third year of college, so my first year of, of, of four-year undergrad at City College, and I was working basically 60, hour, 60 hours plus a week, night shift, you know, doing through multiple stuff. Security was a lot of what I did um, to pay for my daughter and my partner, my wife now. Um, and I remember leaving class and I'm just like, I have to go back to work. I hate this job. I hate, like, I'm not happy with what I'm doing right now. So how can I be happy and realizing that, you know, I've had this, this deep love and affinity for video games my entire life and now being equipped with an education and a skill set that I can use to, to 
you know, understand why people did the things they did in the games I played and why that happened to me when I was a child in many cases. I sort of uh, put two and two together and I was like, you know, I'm not going to be a pro gamer and I'm not, I hate being on camera, so I'm not going to be a streamer. <laughs> um, so it's going to be, I'm going to use what I have. I, I'm, you know, sharp in some cases. I enjoy, you know, the classroom. I do want to teach in some cases. So it, it, it sort of formed themselves there. And I was like, I am going to pursue video games through anthropology and then grad schools. And then I came here. So either way, or UCI, whoever's watching in cases. But yeah. Awesome. No, that, that definitely is a very uh, complex story, I would say. <laughs> um, but so with video games specifically because you could technically uh you know study as an anthropologist not only video games as a digital anthropologist but you could mm. also study for example streamers yeah uh you could study you know youtube culture mm -hmm. um so what drew you even more to go into video games rather than those other cultural aspects i mean so there's there's a lot there um well one i love video games so I wanted to make sure that I had a way to interact and continue playing them and do what I wanted to do in many cases. But I also wanted to, again, understand the, the communities that form around gaming in a lot of cases. And anthropology for me was the way to do that because the way fieldwork sort of patterns out is that you don't have any sort of like you go in there obviously you build your project you you go in you un, you obviously you don't just go in blind and be like well today i'm studying uh you know gamers and then just like to join a room and then like like this is anthropology you know you, you develop a project you ask questions you have your your huge you know sort of itinerary that 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 happens but the idea is to sort of uh research narrowly and think broadly in terms of that you know you are researching a certain community to gain knowledge that can then be applied into a larger scale in a lot of cases. So it's not unlike any of your like economists or any other things who take uh, small research surveys or sections and then sort of extrapolate that out in a lot of cases. Um, of course, this isn't to say like you're making any sort of assumptions in, in a lot of cases, but you essentially a big thing in anthropology is that there's no universals and every little small thing that you understand can sort of help you get to that understanding in, in many cases so under so researching smaller communities serve a big purpose in, in understanding the human experience and understanding how things aren't all the same but are in many cases different right um so with with understanding like the, like not going into streamers or the youtubers in a lot of cases when you go into your field site even though you have this you know entire research agenda you have to be open to to the fact that things will not be the way that you think they are when you go in. So you might think like, for my research, it was largely understanding the sort of navigational practices of of black players. How does the how do their identities form? How do they form community? How do they understand gaming spaces and avoid racism in a lot of cases? Um, that doesn't mean that there are black individuals who don't think racism exists or, you know, have many different or have many differing opinions from the sort of ideas that you went in having. And you have to be open to that. So even with studying video games, it meant that I was studying a lot of other things because it sort of spirals out <laughs> in a lot of cases. And you do have to sort of put your arms around it and, and hold on where you can. But 
it meant that I did interview streamers. I did interview uh, game de developers. I did interview um, a bunch of different people who were who were gaming adjacent, right? Because again, they were playing video games. They were gamers. They were uh, black folks who were making the the wonderful art and and communities that I wanted to study and understand. So it it's um, gaming is the gaming is the focus, but it, it's um, it's really about the people, and and they can do anything. People do whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with anthropology, it is always this. Um, it, it's interesting how ethnography, which is the method for which a lot of anthropologists yeah. do their studies, how it does differ from different social science methods, yeah. taking this more less universal approach, like you mentioned. Um, in tandem with that, could you explain to me and you know our audience? How exactly does your field work, your research look like in a kind of kind of painting us a picture of yeah. what the daily life of a digital researcher in Final Fantasy, because that's mostly the field work that you were doing, mm -hmm. looks like? So, I mean, field work looks different from everybody. And it's 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 one of those uh, bigger issues with anthropology and in, in that it is not reproducible right which is a lot of the, the arguments of anthropology being a science or not being a science and i don't care either way <laughs> i enjoy what i do um because of that that lack of, of reproducibility right because when i spend a day in final fantasy that would be very different from what you would do spending a day in final fantasy right the people you meet different your experiences would be different so a lot of the, when you are an anthropologist, you are the tool of research, right? You are, in a sense, both limited and in a lot of ways, it's a great thing in, in many cases, but by like the, the, for what you can discover and what you can find and who you can speak to in a lot of cases, right? It's, it's not like a survey that goes out there and, and everybody else answers. So for me, in a lot of cases, it would be identifying who it is I wanted to speak to, which was a lot of, you know, looking through black groups, finding uh, black individuals to speak to, spending a lot of time in these spaces, because there's always the chance that, you know, this is not in fact a black group. And in fact, you know, a bunch of white kids just decided to troll somebody um, and, and spending time with the people. So it's, it's playing games with them, you know, waking up at 4 a.m., uh, for the the new uh, expansion release when Endwalkers came out, we were all up at like three a.m. Well, they were up at like six because a lot of people I was thinking with were on the East Coast, but I was up at three a.m. to my you know dismay, um, you know playing games, recording my my entire day session, you know just gaming for you know twelve to eighteen hours, uh, taking notes, reading through you know literature, looking through what uh, individuals were doing, and making sure that I can be a part as much of part of the the events that were going on to catch what i could catch because that is literally how you make your data right if you're not there to see it then it becomes very difficult <laughs> um for you to use it and you know it, in, in a lot of cases again you are limited by your research tool and that's me so i have mm -hmm. to, to be there um if you want a literal step by step it's it's like you know, roll out of bed, get, do whatever I have to do, and then, you know, get down and, and get to my computer, headphones on, see who, who's on, and then um, play in a lot of cases. It can really look 
different depending on what the day is. Sometimes it was full community engagement. Sometimes there'd be 10 people on who wanted to raid or, you know, do something else or play other games like that. And it was, you know, switching from game to game or playing Final Fantasy and, and grinding. Or it was just me, like, experiencing the story, you know, in the off hours when people weren't on and playing through it. So I knew what the conversations were about. And mm. I had a character and a... a individual who was of a high enough level to compete and in, in, to participate in the, the more end game content, which a lot of them were like big raiders. A lot of them were big. Um, how do I put this? Like they wanted to tackle the, the more difficult content. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to get a good understanding of that, that took like a lot of practice and a lot of uh, engagement on that. And I had one of them coach me uh, to be able to like, they have something called a rotation when we do spells. Um, to get down the right rotations, to be able to learn the fights, to be able to do things, because I had picked a class that was um, a little bit difficult for for newer content. It was a black mage, um, and it it meant that a lot of my time was spent both engaging with the community and then making sure that I had the skills to engage with the community. Because mm-hmm. if you suck, they will kick you out very quickly. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you have to be good at it in that case. But yeah, that's fascinating. So. In a sense, in order to do your research, you had to labor within these digital spaces. You had to not only get good at, uh, you know, doing the uh, rating, you know, understanding the mechanics between raids and just for our audience that may not know what uh, raids are. These are certain uh, or maybe if you could if you could um, just give us a quick brief on what Final Fantasy itself is and what raids are and maybe what storyline within Final Fantasy is and yes. Yeah, so I mean, I think with that, it it might also just be useful to sort of explain my research and then Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy in that case. Um, So like I said before, what I do is I, I study sort of Black navigational practices and community. I want to understand how Black individuals form community in gaming since what a lot of them see as gaming communities or gaming spaces is anti-black, right? Um, There's so much discrimination. There's so much racism, vitriol, anti-blackness that happens within a lot of these spaces, um, in part because gaming has been seen as a sort of pastime for white teens in their basement. And because, you know, the internet does give a level of anonymity, anonymity, excuse me, um, to allow people to say and do whatever they like in some cases with, you know, middling repercussions in a lot of cases. But... What that means is that it's a prime place for into, for individuals to experience racism. If you are um, familiar with like T-Pain or any other the black streamers that you might have seen on YouTube complaining about it, right? There's so many different ways that people express racism and do all these other things online. Like when he was playing Call of Duty, if any of you don't don't know, it's a game, guns, wars. You shoot people. Um, but this game is infamous for, you know, <laughs> having racist chat lobbies and 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 lots of cases where, you know, T Pain, a, a famous individual, was called the N-word and and you know, all these individuals had fun at 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 his expense, not knowing, probably probably not even knowing that they were playing <laughs> with a, a famous musician in a lot of cases. But you know, it's 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 such a, a a normal part of gaming while black that, you know, a lot of us will adopt certain aspects and and behaviors in order to avoid this whether or not it's you know keeping your mic off or you know changing your in-game name or not playing as a black person or doubling down and you know being you know i hate every i hate all these races and whatnot and you know making sure that your blackness is on full display which comes with its own you know 
uh, issues and threats and possibilities in a lot of cases. So my work is largely to, to understand all of that and to, to see the ways in which that they are circumventing, right, the racism in, in, in gaming to create new possibilities of, of just gaming being a, a wonderful and beautiful place for, for Black people to exist because, you know, many of us have been playing it for, for so long. And, and as one of my interlocutors uh, pointed out, right, she wasn't going to give way or, or abandon a space that, you know, she grew up with or, or you know, an, an a hobby that she grew up loving and playing um, just because some people on the internet, you know, refuse to let her enjoy her time in peace in some cases, right? So with that being said, marking what my research is, it, it then came down to developing my project and, and going where I needed to go. Um, and I sent out a survey to see what people were playing. I took, uh, you know, note of, of other gaming groups that I had been in, in um, through either personal or for uh, preliminary research that I had conducted a few summers ago uh, to sort of narrow down what I wanted to work on and where I wanted to, to research because I can't obviously research every game in existence. I can't play, you know, Fortnite and Call of Duty and League of Legends and, you know, uh, Final Fantasy and and have a sort of coherent project in a lot of cases, and but in some cases that's what people do. So I focused my project on the people. So whatever they played, I played, and it so happened that three of the main groups that I was researching at the time were like Final Fantasy. You know, Endwalkers is coming out, which is an expansion for the game, um, and we we're like we're going to be playing this, and I was like okay. I'll bite the bullet. I was plan I was not planning to get into an MMORPG or a massive multiplayer online role-playing game where you choose a character from a bunch of Tolkien X race races. So your orcs, your your uh your elves, things like that. Final Fantasy has a little bit of twist on that. Like the elves are Lizen, the what would I guess normally be dwarfs are are or gnomes in this case is the Lalafell. Um and it's a game that takes all the history of Final Fantasy and puts it into a online playable experience. So it, if you are familiar with Final Fantasy and you've played literally anything from the original Final Fantasy to Crystal Chronicles to 13, which has a whole bunch of people, different opinions and things like that, um, you have all these references and lore and worlds and build up into the land of Eorzea, which is what you um, enter um, in Final Fantasy 14. You pick a character and you play this game, you know, exploring this massive world um, with, you know, thousands of other players and it, it is, it, it can be a wonderful experience in a lot of cases. Right. So I do have other games that, that I, I researched like League of Legends and stuff like that, which you can talk about, but Final Fantasy was one of the big ones. Um, and yeah, because it's an MMORPG, there's a couple of staples to the genre that you can play through. Um, rating is one of them where, you know, you get together with, with, a, you know, seven to, to eight to 10 different players, sometimes four, depending if it's a dungeon or whatnot. Um, and you tackle usually some large beast or monster or boss that, you know, you have to work together with these individuals in, in very specific ways to take down. So it's it's common to people to form friendships or, you know, form communities that are based on taking this stuff down. Or, you know, you just do things like form a... a, a a workers union <laughs> and you know hire a bunch of people to to host parties or you start your dj uh career by djing on twitch specifically within final fantasy and working for in-game and uh out of game currency 
so that you can experience or that you can you know get your music out in, in, a, in a different unique way you can do so many other things than say raid or fight monsters or you know be the hero of the story because final fantasy isn't just a game in many cases it is a literal virtual world and just like the physical world you can do more than you know wake up and, and do your job right so there's so there's so many possibilities in the game that it's it's almost limitless um yeah and it's 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 great in that way and it's it meant that i can research so many other things but specifically on rating after i got through all of that long story or whatever else um yeah like i said rating is is a bunch of folks going in to beat up a big monster and it it, it takes practice there are some raids that took me like two weeks to beat because people did not know the fight or i would die or something else would happen so it, it, it takes a lot of a lot of um practice and training and there's so many like maps and 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 you know formations and placing down numbers and it's 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 a real it's 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 like a sport there's a lot to go <laughs> but yeah if that answers that yeah no i think that's a that's a really great way to showcase the research and what final fantasy rating would look like i'd love if you could also expand on um how the storyline of final fantasy relates to your research you did mention how it was uh, you had to learn the storyline just to keep up with dialogue with yeah interlocutor yeah so spoilers are not something people take kindly the the um final fantasy 14 is different from other mmorpgs so you know you have games like wow who obviously has like a deep rich lore in a lot of cases um and uh, oh my god why am i a lot of the the mmorpgs i've played have been like maple story and other ones but while using wow as a as, a, as another good example right the lore oh wow for our audience just if you don't know world is, of, yeah yes world of warcraft yes i'm using lingo i'm sorry <laughs> either way um world of warcraft right there there's always been something with with um MMO RPGs or, or con specifically within like uh, consistently standing virtual worlds and that the lore is something more that you tend to uncover. It's something that you play through quest by quest in a lot of cases. But Final Fantasy has always been by design a narrative game. So you would always play through the story. You would be the hero in whatever cases. And then, you know, it, you know, you start off with saving the cat and then by the end you're slaying God. <laughs> um, uh, so with with the online game, what the the producers of well, Final Fantasy has a, has its own long fascinating history, um, which is definitely worth looking into if anybody wants to. But with fourteen, once uh, Naoki Yoshida or Yoshi P took over, right? There's always a um, a sort of discussion of how do we take the narrative of Final Fantasy and then make that into a huge online experience. So a lot of what the, the, the team basically come, came up with was you have, your, you have the main story that you can play through, whether or not you want to do it by yourself, with friends in a lot of cases, um, but it's largely a, a independent or solo experience. Um, and that story sort of opens up the pathways for you to be able to do the content. So you play through the story, it opens a dungeon. You go through that dungeon with people. Um, you don't all watch the cutscene at the same time, but you know, Sometimes you'll be sitting there for 25 minutes watching these individuals have, you know, high political conversation of, of why, why it's okay to take over uh, one person's land because the, the individuals who hold it currently, you know, colonized or ousted it from another inhuman race. <laughs> so it's like, 
why are you mad, bro? Like you colonized, we're doing the same thing. It's it's it, there's a lot of um there's a there's a not, there's a lot of nuance to the story, which is great. But understanding that story for a lot of people, it's a real big investment. People are really, really, really stand by the story of Final Fantasy fourteen. It's one of the biggest reasons why they play the game and continue to play the game. Um, so yeah, there's the competitive stuff, there's the rating and all that other stuff, but people really do want the story and they they you know there's there's a lot of attachment to it um so if i didn't know it one there was like there was a chance of me being spoiled because i got attached to it or b i just couldn't do the content that was attached to that story or available because if i didn't beat the game then you can't do end game content and then you know that's really where the real game starts is is your end game and fashion and all these other things that happen so yeah so the knowledge was, in a sense, a prerequisite to unlock the ability to move forward within this digital world, but also to uh, communicate with your uh, study <clears throat> research participants. Um, so you mentioned about how the uh, how there is these almost economies being structured within uh, your community that you're studying. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how they're, you know, making almost worker co-ops or uh, not co-ops, but were, you know, employing other uh, individuals within raids. So I'm wondering, how does the economy look within the groups that you're studying and whether or not certain systems of the mainstream, as in our current times capitalism, how does that permeate into these digital spaces that are supposed to be these almost purified, separated forms? So, I mean, something to understand about games right off the back is that they're not, um, they're not vacuums, right? Everything you interact with um, in the real world can and often does show up in game spaces because, you know, it, they're worlds of imagination. And, and, you know, sometimes humans aren't that imaginative. What you do in the real world, you'll try to recreate there. Um, about the economy specifically, that tends to be more of a Final Fantasy-specific question. So there is a delineation between the individuals that I'm studying and Final Fantasy itself, and they both are researched in, in, in many cases and in many ways. Um, but it's more about the, how the communities interact in the economy rather than forming them, the economy themselves, because the economies within Final Fantasy are, are formed game-wide, and we, like like anybody in any economy, right, are, are just participants to the sort of invisible hand motions that are, that are happening, which are not as invisible as people would like to think. Um, but the economies within the game are, are fascinating simply because they influence how, what people want to do and how they interact. So in order to keep up with content in a lot of cases, you need raids. You need, I mean, you need armor, you need gear, you need things, right? Because these are virtual worlds. They do their best to facilitate or recreate aspects of your physical day life and in order to do things you need to buy things you need to have things already and and you know that's just part of the way that mmos tend to work you get your you get your armor then you have to say you basically ask yourself how do i get this armor whether or not it's through questing you can do something like farming where you run the same dungeon again and again and again until you get the armor that you need or you can buy it once you enter that buying it section that creates a market for whatever it is you're trying to buy whether or not let's say randomly a piece of helmet like the, the helm of gilgamesh or whatever right that's not the game maybe it's, but i'm just making that up right the helm of gilgamesh is a busted item that everybody has because it, everybody wants because it's it's the best way that you can output damage it means that you can finish these quests faster and that means you can get a bunch of other things faster right so if this is a sellable item it's going to go for a lot of money that means you have to get yourself money um and in a lot of cases in final fantasy there is lots of different ways of side hustling you can create you can get a trade you can basically work like an apothecary or you can um 
you know, craft, you can craft armor, you can make potions, you can do a bunch of other things. And then you can put these items on the sort of global market for Final Fantasy. And then you can sell them to actual people who needs these potions because it helps you run dungeons or needs these armors in many cases. Or, and, or you can just sell the, the equipment, the sort of ingredients that you gather as a way to make money to then buy that armor or to buy whatever mount or whatever else you want to spend money on in the game. But what's fascinating is that people have found these unique ways to break away from your standard in-game currency engagement and create their own markets through role play or through any sort of uh, creative play aspect. Um, and that shows up in a lot of different ways. Um, there was an article quite a while ago about um, brothels and, um, and Final Fantasy and prostitution where, you know, through for sexual role play in a lot of these cases, which usually takes on the form of, of a sort of typical role play where you find a private room, you dress, you, you talk sexy, or in a lot of cases, it also includes mods, which will remove the clothes from the characters and other things like that, which is not allowed by um, Square in any cases. But, you know, you don't say anything. They have no way of knowing in a lot of cases. Um, and then you will make money that way, right? Because it's like 50,000 gil a session, and here you go. Or it's, it's um, you know, you may have a party in a lot of cases. Uh, one of the individuals that I, I, you know, hung out with a lot was a bouncer slash bartender slash hype man um, for a DJ who DJed in the real world, uh, but did his DJ through stream while hosting in-game parties, right? So he would get hired to attend a party or to uh, perform at a party. You would turn on your stream. His music would be playing, which is, you know, not in-game music in any case. It's, it's all of your favorite artists, whatever else, playing. It was a fairly good, de- uh, fairly good DJ at the, uh, as well. You would engage with that while dancing and having fun in the in housing or properties that in, in-game that people set up, right? So you would have this great, like, party time or whatever else. Um, and this individual got hired by the DJ and his crew, more or less, to work as an in-game uh, hype man to do things like use popping bottle emojis or, you know, dancing emojis or lighting emojis or just to sort of, like, control the party mm-hmm. in a lot of cases because there are physical, there are in-game limitations to what you can and can't do, and they want to do their best to recreate a physical party mm-hmm. um, in a lot of cases. So... It's it's really just a bunch of people who want to have a good time with their friends that they've made in Final Fantasy, and they're they're entertaining this. And to make money, he's like, I will, you know, I will perform, I will work for you for three hours. I will be this hype man. I will use this this uh, pop bottle champagne emoji to hype people up, and the music will be playing from Twitch and all these other things. And it it's it just it's it's so fascinating how that you know physical world and and uh, digital world will interact in many cases because it, it it opens up whole new sets of possibilities of whatever you can imagine there's a way to make it happen mm-hmm. right and you just have to work around the affordances of the game in order to, to to play with it so like one of his jobs was telling everybody to put away their weapons right because that breaks the 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 what's the word the immersion mm. of the party in many cases because you're like you're not there to to slay beast you're not there to, to play the game we're trying to treat this as its own sort of hollowed space um and it, it, another thing is just like weapons and pets and any other little gear and add-ons that you have literally take up physical space. Like they, I mean, they take up, well, not physical, but digital space within it, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, there, if the building can, say, manage 300 people before it shuts down or starts lagging or these other things, um, if you have a pet out, that's, that's adding 
to the <laughs> to the data that's taking a bath. So you want to remove your pet. You want to take off the weapons to allow more individuals to be able to run the game smoothly without being over without having their their systems overwhelmed by the amount of people that's in there as well as as you know both breaking the immersion of the mind and the immersion of the game itself so it's fascinating in that case yeah it really is fascinating and these digital limitations then it it does put a kind of um it, it it imposes a sort of reality onto the digital space even though we perceive digital spaces as being unlimited mm. you have these uh, you know for example like you mentioned the data uh, you have to take out the uh, pets from so so that the party or the groups of individuals can run the game smoothly mm -hmm. and you also uh mentioned about this kind of recreating of the physical space within the digital space um through these parties and through also jobs that are <laughs> modern jobs mm -hmm. um even in a game like final fantasy which has a lot of medieval kind of elements to it with swords and armor and potions yep. and apothecaries um i do i am very uh interested in how you see the dynamics of politics um play out within the groups that you study so for example do you see any tensions between a desire to uh, organize in an egalitarian fashion within a raid or pulling with desires to organize in a more hierarchical fashion? So that really depends on, on the space. So I did work with a couple of groups in a lot of cases, and some were definitely, if it were a sort of like smaller friend group of like seven to ten people, um, there tend to be a little bit more egalitarian aspects in many cases. Um, but you know, everybody has disagreements, arguments break out, things happen in a, in a lot of cases. Some there, you know, there were some days, some people didn't want to play because, you know, somebody wasn't performing the way they need to perform in that raid or dungeon. They didn't do enough damage. And that became a whole other thing. We had to coach people, other things like that. Um, but in terms of like larger groups that I spent time with on, you know, sites like Facebook or Twitter or other cases, or even like in, in, in larger, um, companies within the well, company guild, depending on the game, you want to say basically a, a grouping of people that all sort of like work under the same banner um or play under the same banner within the game um there were definitely hierarchies in in many aspects and whether or not it was the literal hierarchy of i am the developer of this space i i'm it i'm an administrator and thus i have more power than you there are things that you can say or can't say that i can censor which is a literal power within some of these black spaces um, there was also the sort of invisible hierarchies that exist very much within the physical world that are then recreated within what, within such specifically around like the LGBT community and women within, within the spaces of a good example of being like desire and sexuality, right? Where some of these spaces would, you know, consistently sexualize, uh, women in a lot of cases because there was a lot of men in these spaces and they're just like, well, we all like looking at women, blah, 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 blah. Let's show that. But then when a woman or a gay individual puts up say a sexy image of a man or something else like that um it very quickly would spiral out into like a lot of uh hate and a lot of anger and things like that be like you know i don't want to put this on i don't want to see that blah 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 blah, sort of things so it became very obvious of like who had the say of like what what was okay to sexualize and what wasn't okay like whose sexuality is about to be explored in and 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 within these spaces in a lot of cases and that would recreate itself in a lot of cases when like in gameplay when i when these individuals did shift from like say discord community 
to in-game community if somebody wanted to wear like a dress they had a uh near automata event or whatever a while back where you could get the 2b dress if you like if you're not familiar with the game it doesn't matter just imagine a black dress that you can put on but the dress was not edited for gender they didn't they didn't offer you like a pants outfit for you know men or or women within the game which is often what final fantasy will do they'll gender their clothing very heavily um but this is one of the few pieces that both men and women can wear equally you can put on a dress in a lot of cases um and if members wanted to wear that dress they definitely got clowned on right it was um they got made fun of they got they got uh, engaged with and it was sort of it would it would mark the the sort of hierarchical standards of like what is acceptable in 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 these spaces and who got to do stuff because there were some people that like if they put on the dress it just didn't matter because they were more or less in charge and you weren't going to fight that and some people who were just like well hey bro what are you doing in a lot of cases um and you know it it it's it's fascinating to to research individuals that you just have fundamental disagreements with. I got into a lot of uh, arguments with with a lot of the spaces that I that I was in about you know the existence of trans people, the gay rights, things like that. Um, and it was one of those examples that you know just because it's a black space doesn't mean that it lacks discriminatory practices in a lot of cases, which is um, uh, a thing. Uh, but you know, there's definitely. I would some spaces were super egalitarian and super lovely and and did what they had to do to the best of their ability but hierarchies often would would stem in some way out in in, in many cases even you know within pure black spaces that you know wanted to attempt to leave a lot of that so it, it depended that's a great um kind of funneling into the discussion of masculinity within mm. uh, these black communities and so if you could describe to me how uh, masculinity intersects within these communities. And also, uh, I know you did uh, a great research or great. Uh, you pointed out some great things about the uh, bunny boy race within Final Fantasy. So if you could also talk about that, that would be amazing. Yeah, so um, masculinity plays a big role in the identity of the gamer overall. Um, there is wonderful work i'm trying to pull the name out of my head but i'm blanking um i will find it don't worry but there's wonderful work talking about the linking between um gaming technology and masculinity right because when you you think about computers you think about the sort of spaces that that games were were built up in you know person and you know if we're talking about computer games and like university spaces that were largely you know controlled by men, white men specifically in these in these cases, and then, you know, shifting to like arcade spaces, which were seen as as spaces for men to 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 go to. Uh well usually young boys, there's there's a wonderful linking of, you know, techno masculinity, which is the exact term. I'm I just have to find the name now. It it's um uh, her work is her work is great, but I will I will it, the book is called Coin Operated Americans and I will find that name, trust me. But that being said, you know, technomasculinity is a, a term from uh, coin-operated Americans of just like how, you know, gaming has sort of funneled into this like hyper-masculine space, right? Where people think that gaming is now associated with, with, boy, with, with boyness or men's in, in a lot of cases, which is ironic because, you know, once games made the shift from, you know, arcade spaces, which could have been, uh, which could have easily been marked as masculine spaces, um, 
into the domestic sphere, into the homes, which is was typically seen as the the space of, of women in many cases, there had to be a sort of propagandic move and sort of selling the idea that it was cool for men to be at home now, right? Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of movement um from the arcade space to the console space in the home um for that. But you know, lo and behold, all of that worked. Um and games are now seen as as the pastime of men and whether or not you want to go to the TikToks where it's like this is all we have, get you know, get the e-girls out of here, you know, the disrespect that that's women streamers will serve or receive or just the idea that um they get more views because they're women, even though the top streamers aren't, you know, there's hardly any women within the top 10 streamers, Pokimane being, I think, the only one or the only exception. There might be another. I have to double check. Um, but the majority of top streamers are made up by white men. Um, so, you know, none of that holds to data, but people still make the claims because it is, it is anecdotal and it is just what they feel in a lot of cases. And it's also marked by a lot of... Uh, internal misogyny or misogynoir in a lot of cases towards the black word but because of that you know masculinity just plays a big role for anybody that that lives in the u.s in a lot of cases and, and it looks very different from place to place and white masculinity will look very different from black masculinity as well as have different impetuses which you know form that masculinity in the first place so it it was something that I dealt with a lot in a lot of these spaces, especially ones that were mostly made up by men who felt it was okay to be misogynistic or to to make the most stereotypical aspects of masculinity their personality. Hmm. Um, with that being said, then it 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 um it it's it was just it was just interesting to deal with right because one i didn't care for it so it, it started a lot of uh, arguments in a lot of cases but also understanding that you know hyper masculinity within the black community has had a very different history largely because uh, emasculation or demasculation of men was a part of slavery and a part of the consistent experience of black men in america during jim crow during segregation during these other other aspects you know whether or not it was the calling of boy or these other aspects and in many cases and even you know <laughs> throughout the, the the separation of families you know through through over policing and all those other things like the these aspects targeted men to make them feel less like men and other things and you have in result something called the cool poles where it's a sort of overcompensation for years and years and years of demasculation for these black men um so they they overcompensate in all in a in a lot of ways and a part of you wants to be understanding to that of just like hey you are dealing with with years of of you know structural harm that has sort of caused this in many cases whether or not it be the sort of stereotypical um hip-hop persona or, or gang or gangster in many cases or other stuff like that um all these identities are are sort of responses to that that you know the need to protect oneself especially since literally gangs were formed as forms of protection not as forms of not what other people would would have you believe in terms of just like we just like crime so crime's gonna have no um but that being said right that means that there's a direct history there that differentiates black masculinity from white masculinity which my masculinity is often a means of controlling or have or maintaining power, literally being it from either a means of, of controlling land, of controlling women with feminine, uh, women with feminine bodies, um, or just, you know, 
maintaining any sort of, of, of power, whether or not it be political or socially in any of these cases. Um, meanwhile, black masculinity was, was, uh, is a way to hold on or fight back for what, for what they have. And it, it's, it's toxic for a reason. It, it's deliterous in many ways, but it's, it's, um, it's very difficult to tell somebody who is scared of, of being murdered to take the knife out of their hand when the person walking towards them has done them harm for so long. Um, and it, it, it just made for so many fascinating conversations within the space because I couldn't outright tell them that, like, you're wrong, which many of them were in some cases because, you know, uh, Sometimes, sometimes this masculinity is very directly linked to, towards the, the LGBT or, or, or queer experience in the case of just like a, a lot of them being straight was them identifying what is gay, right? They had to have such an intimate knowledge of for them what was homosexual to be able to not do that, right? So it became a, an entire skewing of, of anything that was gay and this, this wraps up entirely in terms of like engaging with trans identity, with engaging with... Um, engaging with 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 the lgbt community in, in lots of cases and i thankfully most of the people i interacted with were open to most of to most of the stuff but you know within the larger group i you can't talk to everybody but there's always the the differentiation of like you know this is a black group not a gay um ignoring the fact that you know there are gay black people mm. <laughs> there are there are you know queer black people there are trans black people that that exist and it it sort of shows the limiting of what they believe the black identity to be and not making room for a lot of cases which sort of form that that hierarchy aspect that i was talking about of like what forms of blackness is the premier blackness that you want to put out there mm. in, in in many of these cases but with the bunny boys that that you were asking about um bunny boys are another race or you know the viera are another race within final fantasy that has a reputation of being more feminine or you know uh, softer in, in, a, in a lot of cases for a lot of individuals because their lore writes them as the secondary aspect or of the, the, the non-warrior aspect of, of, of their race. So within their race, the women are in charge. They have the, 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 the rule of, the, of, their, of their communities. They go out to do the hunting. Right. It was it was it was sort of like an in-game explanation as well, because when the race Viera came out at first, it was just the women. And then when people started asking and begging for male Viera, they basically had to write an, a, a reason for why there was no male Vieras. And it was like basically male Vieras stay within the community. They're more shy. They're more docile. They, they you know, they they're not as outgoing. So they're very rarely seen. And then, you know, now they are somewhat entering out because of, you know, the, the interactions of the world and the wars that are going on and all these other things, yada, yada, yada. But with this lore, with this other things, and the fact that, you know, bunny boys is just not like a bunny isn't a typical intimidating animal, like a dragon in many cases or other stuff like that. So it, it really did come down to, to it, it. It was really interpreted as like the sort of like feminine pretty boy in a lot of cases. Um, and for a lot of my black interlocutors who are trying to maintain or reestablish their masculinity in these cases they did not want to play as bunny boys because it was it, it was seen as a feminine right so it it it's um it's just it, it was it was just interesting and, and fascinating and i brought it up in that talk because it's like their black identities are being shaped 
not just by the sort of racial formations that you know happened <laughs> hundreds of years ago in in terms of of identifying you know the human and the non-human as marking black as non-human and white as human in many cases but was being marked by their own personalities and identities whether or not for better or worse um which included their their sexual identification their gendered identity all these other things because for them you know the bunny boys weren't black because it it, it was more or less like what self-respecting black man would 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 be a bunny boy which is hogwash but it is fascinating to see the ways in in in, in how they marked their black identities by their masculinity right they needed they needed to be men black men first and foremost and the bunny identity just didn't mark with that so. hmm. that's very interesting i know that in um another mmo rpg world of warcraft they have this race called the blood elves and they look very also i guess feminine in mm. in their appearance and there's also this uh weird community dynamic in which uh if you play as a blood elf they're seen as again feminine and kind of less than because of it and you're not a true if you if you play as a male of course if you play as a female you're just immediately sexualized and yeah. you're 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 roped into um you know erpg if if uh, mm. you know erp you know erotic role play mm -hmm. um and so it's fascinating how between different games you can see similar dynamics but of course here it's more of a focus on the a black community with a very uh very specific definition <laughs> of masculinity i guess yeah um i am also interested in how the uh, masculinity of uh, you know the black the black community how that can intersect with this need for possibly establishing hierarchy if that is at all correlated uh, within uh the community if you've noticed mm -hmm. if you haven't that's also that's also epic. yeah so i mean there's there's a there's i mean there's a lot to say on hierarchy in a lot of cases ironically with the blood elf thing um it's funny that you say that because a lot of the the individuals that I spoke to, like around the time WoW was getting big again, especially like for like WoW Classic or or you know Vanilla WoW, in a lot of cases, uh, the Blood Elves aren't they weren't so much seen as as effeminate within the Black community, but they were seen as the quote unquote like master race, right? They like mm. the the this is of course in jest, right? They're not the literal master base master race, but like they are basically your 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 world of warcraft nonsense right <laughs> so it was um anytime somebody had to play as one or or you know things because they they you know long live the horde and all that other things right there there aren't as as many options because if you play um on the oh my god i'm forgetting the other side but if you play on the other side obviously the popular ones are like you know the night elf the 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 you know the pretty ones things like that i was a fan of the worgen because i love werewolves but um <laughs> the the night the the blood elves were just like yeah these are these are just like wow it's like premier racist they're they're into and they're in and that's very again that's very lore specific they are entirely about the purity of their blood and mm -hmm. keeping and maintaining themselves you know outside of of other you know forest elves and all these other things so it's just like yeah you know i play i play as the, you know, the master race in, in all these other cases um but yeah with in terms of 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 hierarchy and masculinity it's it's um it's funny, right? Because you can you can notice these sort of like invisible hierarchies that that I spoke about before, right? In terms of the gender, sexuality, the identity, the class, all these things that pop up 
um, within the space overall. But there was also a level of vulnerability in a lot of these like smaller groups that I hung out in, right? The ones of, of, of 10 people or whatever else, where their mas- where even though they they pulled down so specifically on this masculinity, there was a there was a flirt or or sort of swing in and out of like what you know your typical you know hardback black man would would essentially be because a lot of these spaces were were spaces for them to be vulnerable right this is the this is the spaces that they would speak about um you know trauma from family you know relationships with their dad problems with 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 wives other things like that right so it wasn't i would say it was for the smaller ones at least it was less you know hierarchical and more supportive in that case because once they all understood that you know like ha 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 i'm a man and you know this is what men do it slowly started to break down um once they once they sort of like did their chest puffing and into more vulnerability uh for themselves and and you know it 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 was it was just um there was a there was just a lot of um how do i put it a lot of paradoxical behavior going on in many cases and then even then there's like like i mentioned right the understanding of of you know what is what is queer behavior in a lot of cases for them like there was tons of of you know just just flat out homosexual behaviors in some cases that they they were thinking like like random like 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 random jokes of 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 just of of just like the the over sexualization within gameplay like the, the classic like i'm 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 gonna rape you in some cases in many cases just for like, like i'm gonna put it in your butt or all these other things or these other there's just, just like these little things that like if you're this big you know, if you are this defined, strong black man, where does, you know, anal play all of a sudden come from? And <laughs> in some cases, um, or even just like, where does the, 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 the flirtation or other things that go around or like, like, oh, he kind of cute. Like, like that is, um, that's different. So great. I'm happy for you. I hope you do. It, it, it's, 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 it's fine in any case, but like you were just saying all of these the these like you defined yourself this way and now you're engaging in this way so it's 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 um it's that i think that really showcases just how performative masculinity is and Mm -hmm. while you're you're i think it's over time would you agree with the same that over time within these communities as they got to know each other that kind of performance was dampened due to just feeling uh, less threatened because when you're meeting new people um especially if you've been a marginalized community that has been emasculated uh like you talked about there's this kind of threat perception right Mm -hmm. that you need to showcase your toughness in Mm -hmm. order to survive and not be harmed so maybe as time uh, went on that they felt more comfortable within um the group that they were in and they had to they felt less inclined to perform this defense mechanism of masculinity yeah so i think i think there's a lot there and i think you're 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 partially right in in a lot of cases so masculinity is often is is literally performance right whether or not you want to you know go to gender performance and things you know not to, to pull out you know judith butler's work or anything else like that right of of gender being performance and there's a lot of credit right to this theory and there's also a lot of pushback um in in a lot of cases but yeah masculinity especially in 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 today's terms is a sort of performative aspect and it's one that people perform and perform and perform to make their identity um it's also important to remember that the sort of hyper masculine 
you know, cool, cool, pose black uh, identity is also, sorry, is also um, not something people choose to do, but something, you know, that has been built up over, you know, years and years and years of abuse, right? Some mm -hmm. people like, sometimes you don't understand the ways that you behave, right? And it's, it's, it's just, just the way it is. But yeah, with with time and with interactions and other stuff, like you, they start to treat each other like family. And there was still, you know, the the homophobia and other things like that that existed. But you know, it it became okay to sort of like play at the margins. It came to to play at the edges, and in, in, in so many cases where you know, if somebody if if somebody like says like, oh, this this hot male elf, they'd be like, like, oh, he kind of cute, whatever else, right? People would be like, hey, yo, or scream out or do whatever the, the, the typical, you know, like pause or any other sort of like black interaction of just like when homophobia is, is like clearly stated because like you have to pause, recognize what you said, say no hobo, whatever, blah, 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 um, which is all nonsense in it, 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 it's, it's a lot of cases. But it's um, it does show like like that's not something that's not something they would have willingly done with a group of with a group of strangers in any cases. Right. The walls will stay up. Um, and that's different from person to person. And, and in many cases, um, I, I got a chance to to engage and play with uh, tons of, of queer black gamers in a lot of cases, and it was very different interactions. Um, but for the straighter, more masculine performing um, individuals, it was, yeah, it was like over time, you know, once I get to know you, we can engage, we can, we can start, you know, talking about more personal things, whether or not they be sexual, whether or not they be other stuff there was a, a hilarious and fascinating concept a conversation rather about the male g-spot being in this, right so <laughs> um obviously in many cases and, and the whole conversation was just like is it worth it to experience like the best climax that you can if it means having to to go past the no the no worries on plenty of them were like no 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 that's not it but like i'm not going to do that and things and the other ones were just like well you know me like you know it's a girl doing it like how is that game it, it, it's like it it's it's funny to see like how the the line will move depending from individual to individual like what is and is not and it's just like some they're like yo this is either super gay not gay kind of gay it's it's thing but it it's just <laughs> queer identity just lives so rent free in, in in the heads of black men because again like their masculinity is defined by not engage like not crossing into into, into that aspect so they have to they have to find the line and then they just start moving it randomly so it doesn't matter but yeah that's actually really funny you know it's 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 philosophizing about how to negotiate you know boundaries mm. um I'm also interested in what you mentioned a while back. You you mentioned how you like to play uh, in when you used to play World of Warcraft. You like to play you know the Warden race, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I know that you talked about how, for example, one way in which the uh, black community, certain individuals in the black community, navigate the lack of uh, races that portray a kind of uh, black individual mm -hmm. uh, superficially, yeah. physically. Uh, how they will then attempt to uh, take that uh, superficial blackness and um, emanate it through a animalistic or animalistic race. For example, you mentioned a tiger race, um, a tiger humanoid race. Mm -hmm. And if you could just talk about how this this uh, and 
you know, this combination of the animal with the human uh, allows certain Black individuals to express their Blackness within these uh, digital spaces. Yes. So first, I remember the name of Coin Operated, Carly Corseric. Great work. Check out the book. Do what you like. Okay, so that being said, um, yeah, so it's it's not so much like black individuals finding their identity specifically through through you know a bestialization or or other things like that, but rather Final Fantasy's Final Fantasy fourteen affordances of blackness being limited to the fact that they had to go out there and find these aspects. And yes, sometimes this was in in this sort of like uh, animalistic or or beast identity. <laughs> but it's um so all right so there so a lot of that a lot of the, the talk i gave was was the sort of like reforming black right the ways in which blackness can sort of take root and and be shaped without having to be phenotypically black right um because uh, blackness isn't isn't just about what skin color you have or or the identity in a lot of cases it is in some cases because that that was the marker but about the culture, about the identity, about the person, right? And blackness has has not only become a culture, but taken on more of a of a personal identity. And it it has become the question for many black individuals is how do I how am how do I be black without the the definition or the marking of black of a of a black identity that was created by white individuals, right? How do you separate the two and be, you know, blackness without its without its comparison to whiteness and, and just, you know, be. Um, and and for a lot of my interlocutors, you know, it, it was fascinating because for them, the answers in that case was was to take on forms of identity that had nothing to do with 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 phenotypical blackness and and related more to the person of whether or not it was a Leo or their, you know, their gendered identity or their masculine identities or the other cases because their blackness was defined by these aspects um, rather than, than just their skin color. So within Final Fantasy XIV, you can have brown skin um, and it looks different for every race in, in a lot of cases. But, you know, because of the, not only the game's affordances, but there is often a lack of, of you know, I don't want to say care. I, I, I wasn't there when they made the game in many cases, but there's a lack of options, right? For in many cases, and then this isn't. This doesn't look better when hairstyles like afros and other things like that are put behind in-game currency paywalls and things like that. And you're not; they're not available for when you first start. One of the black hairstyles that you have available is uh, dreadlocks, um, but it's only on women. Um, and then men get like braids, and that's not that doesn't really look black. I mean, I, I use it because I've sort of finagled it around with my character to you know look in that aspect, but. You know, in terms of like black phenotypical features, the game does not do a great job of showcasing it, right? There's not a there's there's not you know the larger noses, the lips, the other things like that, um, or just it just doesn't it just doesn't look real. So many of them feel like they're they're playing, they're just like putting on brown skin. Sometimes just feels like black, right? It just feels like a white Asian character um, with brown skin rather than any sort of attempt to to properly phenotypically display blackness. In that case, so a lot of some of them just they don't even try. They're just like, this isn't worth it. This feels offensive <laughs> in some way. Um, and even then, when you when you do get the afro, it feels more like a prop than an actual hairstyle. So it's a whole other thing. Um, but you know, they 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 change it up, and they do things like create um, the name of the race escapes me right now. I'll, I'll find. I'll remember it again in a second. 
but they'll do things like choose the lion race within within uh, Final Fantasy because you know it's it's a because they're a Leo, and they will you know do all these other things to aspect themselves because being a Leo is a big part of their personality, and for them you know that is like their Leoness is is inextricable from their blackness, so they will perform this way and with an understanding that if I'm a black individual playing this character and my friends are black and they know I'm black you know, then, you know, this is now a Black character, even if it's not visibly Black. And it's very similar to the way the Black community will claim non-Black characters, right? Because there is an understanding of identity and struggle in, their, in its creation of Blackness where people will resonate with. So Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z, not technically a Black character, but everybody views Piccolo as the Black character of Dragon Ball Z because we're not represented, right? Mm-hmm. There aren't Black people there. Same thing with like Sonic the Hedgehog. Knuckles is viewed as the black character, um, both by you know the black community and the non-black community, and then confirmed by Idris Elba playing the character in Sonic. Um, in a lot of cases, and this has spiraled out in some weird ways with you know Yvonne Knuckles pre Idris Elba and other things like that, which is an incredibly racist thing. But you know we 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 laugh at racist things sometimes. But it's um there's there is um there's an idea the the aspects of claiming or or. You know, finding blackness and in, in, in the in the spaces that you know didn't allow for it is a part of 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 you know the black experience. It's a part of of what my what my interlocutors are doing, and and you know because they gave them a a, a character creation a, a, you know selection, they are performing and finding their blackness in all these unique ways that nobody, even black people, wouldn't be able to understand unless you're a part of the community. So, so yeah, interesting. Um, moving on to the policing of blackness within these digital spaces. I know yeah. you've written um, and, and you do research on this as well. Mm-hmm. So if you could also talk about how, uh, how, how that uh, plays out in these communities. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of different ways that, you know, blackness is policed in some, in some cases, right? Whether or not it's, it's um, black people policing other forms of blackness, whether or not that be, you know, queer black folk or women or other things like that, which we, we spoke about in that case. Um, there is also the the sort of policing that happens. I would I would put policing of blackness more into in terms of the community, right? Because there's a, there's the aspect of of ignoring black people or the existence of black people are just not doing them, you know, justice when a game is created. And this is a form of policing in some cases, but if your game doesn't have black people in it, that doesn't make it, you know, a bad game or a racist game, or in many cases, it, it's um, it's just that you have chosen not to, which could have been for a good reason, whether or not it be historical or blah 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 blah. But you know, it it then forms of blackness, or what's the best way to put that? It's not so much about the the forms of blackness, but like the black identity itself, or or be or just being in a sort of police aspect comes very much from community, right? So you have black you have black people policing blackness of other black folk, which is fine. But then you also have the the aspect of a type of policing or surveillance that's happening for black folk in these non-black spaces, right? Mm. Where having a black name or referencing a black character or you know an aspect of black culture or you know having you know being any or having a you know a deeper voice that some people might you know call black or using you know. Uh, any sort of black black vernacular will often, you know, these are the ways that people often get routed directly for racism, right? So 
typically what happens in, in a game when individuals experience racism it's it's, it's either through the the callous or the sort of how do i put this open racism that happens every day right like the, because gaming is viewed as as an inherently white space many of the times it becomes okay because if i say the n-word here it's just other white people and you know they say it in private or, or like whatever empowerment that they feel that black individuals are there so you have this sort of wanton use of the n-word here where it's it's um it's just free right i'm just sprouting it out you had no idea i was black you just said the n-word for fun right mm -hmm. this is this is this and then you have the, the, the targeted, the direct aspects of, of racism where they figure out you're Black through some sort of physical artifact, whether or not it be your voice, your name, your character, whatever. And then they target, they, they, they begin to shape their, their insults towards you. Mm. Um, and this forms a, a, a form of, of surveillance or policing of identity in a case because now you as a Black individual must now navigate this sort of space right you understand that this is a racist space people are going to use the n-word people are going to target you people are going to do all these sort of things and you now have to perform tactics like any like black people throughout history and figure out how you are going to either avoid with this racism combat this racism or you know just overcome it in, in whatever ways that you figure it out right so a lot of the 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 women that I spoke to, some being from a group called Black Girl Gamers, which is a fantastic um, black uh, black women's gaming group that you know supports black women within the field and and gamers themselves. You know, uh, one of them I was speaking to was like, you know, sometimes I don't even turn on my mic. Sometimes I don't even engage. I, I basically, unless I'm playing with friends, I treat it like I'm I'm basically playing a solo game because by the time they hear her talk, both because she is a woman. And because she has, uh, she uses uh, black vernacular, uh, they normally figure out that she's black. And then whether or not she's beating them or she's not doing good or anything else like that, the insults become very charged and targeted, right? Like you, you're you're this and this because you're a black woman, or you're a monkey, or these other, things, right? So that's not something she wants to engage in. Um, and a lot, of, and a big aspect of it that I always get asked is like, how do you know that the people that you're interacting with is black, or like, how do you know that black people are experiencing this stuff? Um, because they don't have, you know, like these, 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 these physical, like they're not physical bodies, right? And in, in, in many of these cases, um, and that comes down to the fact that, you know, the physical and the digital aren't separate, right? They, they, they still interact, and there's always a way for people to sort of figure out what you are. In some cases, right? If you have a heavy Texan accent, people are going to figure out you're from Texas, and it's vice versa. If you have a heavy like Brooklynite accent, and and you use the language and other things like that, people are going to figure it out. And if you're close enough. They're going to target it, and so it's it's a complete space. It's a complete um, navigation of of what I term in uh, one of my papers called the magic circle of whiteness, um, which is just the formation or the understanding of gaming spaces of of being inherently white spaces, both from the people who played and the behaviors that interact with it, forming the anti blackness within the space, the developers forming continuously catering to to white players. And the sort of lack of diverse games that come out where the heroes are, you know, usually white men in a lot of cases. Um, excuse me. And then the games themselves, uh, you know, the developers making white games and then the games themselves being, you know, artifacts of whiteness in a lot of cases. Right. And this is getting better. Thankfully, there's lots of um, there's there's not lots, but there are more black examples. There are more examples of, of solid black, you know, representation within these games. But this sort of triangulation called forms the, what I call the magic circle of whiteness. And this 
serves as the background of what like black players are, are experiencing so a lot of the policing comes from the from just the, the experiences that they've had and just knowing that you know at some point if somebody figures out who i am they're going to 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 do some real fucked up shit and i don't want to deal with that so it it, it comes from more of a I don't want to say panopticonic because I don't want to. I don't want to start talking to Pope, but it, it it's it's more of just a it's it's an internalization. Of, it's an internalization of the possible racism that forms a, a specific barrier between the black player and the gang side itself. So, do you think this internalization then also uh, transfers onto? how willing a black community within a digital space is to take on phenotypically you know black traits mm -hmm. uh on characters because if you when you talk about how they how certain markers of a race can be used by other people within a, the the white gaming space mm -hmm. to uh, abuse these black, black communities uh, do you think that's then uh, creating fear in them to express their uh, th their blackness in the way that they want to? So sometimes, right? That it it this is this is the 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 treat of research and and one of the the things that you have to take in consideration when writing and understanding the space. It's the fact that black individuals aren't a monolith right and everybody's going to come up with a different answer in many of these different cases so yes yeah, some will legitimately experience some sort of distaste or fear that that they don't want to interact and you know they will and they will make a white character in some cases to to just avoid all that right um and it's it's always a weird thing right because if you somehow if you then interact with people in game and then you know, continue relationships or, or, you know, play with them for, for a long time, whatever else, there might come a time where you're going to have to reveal that you're black. And it's a very, you know, unique and different way of, of coming out in a way virtually, because, you know, as the old adage says, like, nobody knows if you're a dog on the internet in many cases, right? So a way that they, that, that some individuals protect themselves is, yeah, don't perform or show any forms of blackness or keep it limited to a certain degree. And, you know, at least you will, you will, you know, if you're experiencing misogyny, at least it won't be misogynoir, right? If you're experiencing, you know, uh, flaming because of your gameplay, at least it's just, you know, at least, you know, it's, 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 it's flaming and not, you know, flat out racism, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's a limitation to that. But then there are a bunch of folks who are just like, fuck all of them. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be as blickety black as absolutely possible and you know represent themselves through their characters and and do what they have to do because you know it's 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 just the reality of the situation whether or not it's digital or physical they're not going to be limited um by those individuals but there's definitely a focus on community building and privatization that builds up a lot in a lot of cases so i don't think that, that black individuals are as so it's it's different you know it's a 50 50 some people do it some people don't but there is a lot of black groups that are formed specifically for blackness and then they will police their borders mm. um for to make sure that non-black individuals can. so there are your your spaces where it's like they're big enough and everybody can join like you understand that hey if you are you know supportive of the black community you're welcome to come in you know bring your white wife whatever else do that but then there's a lot of people, there's a lot of spaces who will say only black individuals and they will ask for photographic proof. They will have you fill out a survey. They will form all these levels of, you know, protection because they know it only takes one troll to come in there to ruin everything, right? To, to, to 
make people feel unsafe in all these other cases. And, you know, the last chapter that I wrote um, in the anthropology, in the Routledge uh, Anthropology Media Companion talks about one of the groups that I worked with in my preliminary research who tried an open space group to be like, hey, everybody can come in, but this is a black space, you know, this like, we're really here working to make black people feel safe, to make them feel loved within the gaming community and all these other things. And it was just bombarded sometimes daily by trolls who would find the space on Discord and will, you know, come in, you know, scream the N-word a bunch of times, get blocked and head out, right? Mm -hmm. But by that point, the damage has already been done, mm -hmm. right? There's already, you already know that, you know, at any point I'm going to experience this, this sucks, now I feel unsafe in this space. And worse yet, there was a lot of, um, what's the word, negative actors in, in a lot of cases um, that just, you know, there were people that were coming in pretending to be Black that would, you know, perform digital Blackface or virtual Blackface in a lot of cases. And one of the benefits of, of ethnography is that because you are there for months or years at a time, it means that you stick around long enough to, to figure this stuff out, right? So the people that you interview or whatever else are engaged with, right? The question of like, how do you know they're Black? It was like, well, I was here for three months. And, you know, a bunch of, a, a bunch of community folks did the work and found out that this guy wasn't Black, that he was pretending to be Black. And they have all the evidence from, you know, their own court cases or just like going into other, you know, chats because it does form a sort of in, informal network that, that begins to show up between the other Black spaces that, you know, somebody joins one space and then joins another space and then joins another space and then begins to connect them in these sort of weird informal ways that this person got kicked out of that group for 10 pretending to be Black. And then the information got passed on to this one and then got passed on to this one. And now we're at this situation. Now we know that you're not Black, so you have to say for yourself. Right. But that group, unfortunately, didn't um, last because, you know, the idea of keeping the space open for everybody didn't work because in addition to the racism, there were also a lot of white folk and non-black folk that came in there to find their own joy and thing from interacting. There were a bunch, a bunch of folks just being like, hey, I'm more comfortable around black people. So right. I joined this group and then you get enough of those individuals start taking up space. They start, you know redirecting the conversations they start you know shifting the politics of the community and then eventually it's it you know black people don't feel safe anymore they're now being you know undermined all these other things and then they start heading out so once you have a mass exodus of the black folk which is literally what happened um the group was literally just left with all majority white and non-black uh, creators and eventually the group got passed once the main individual who created the group passed it on to a, a white australian dude um who was who was a big like supporter of the group and, and other things like that but once it was no longer a black group, you know, once he left, it was, it was just, you know, all the black people left and that was it, right? Absorbed through the sort of, it was deluged by, by forms of whiteness, both through um, discrimination, discriminatory practices and of utilization isn't the right word. It's uh, obsession isn't the right word either of usage, right? Of just using black space and black body for your own gain, right? It was just, it was just use up. So, yeah. That's almost like a sort of warfare within a digital space where you have these kind of agents of uh, kind of transmitting racism through digital spaces coming in, bombarding uh, these marginalized, oppressed communities, you know, the black community, uh, spilling their insults, attempting to disrupt any mm. kind of solidarity they may have. And then you have these, uh, you know, white folk with... Uh, on the surface, you know, good intentions, slowly weeding out and 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 replacing mm. these black communities, almost like a kind of colonial endeavor within a digital space. Yep. So that that is extremely fascinating. Um, 
I uh, talking about kind of uh, whiteness within digital spaces. You did mention uh, in your talk, uh, in your anthropology talk, about uh, Japanese Europeanness, mm -hmm. and that to me seems like such a fascinating concept. And if you could expand on that, I would be really grateful. Yeah. So within that talk, right, there's there's an aspect, right. So a lot of it, a lot of the 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 work, the chapter, and the talk talks about. Um, the sort of ways in which whiteness operates um, within gameplay, right? But the immediate pushback that you get is that Final Fantasy is not a not a, a US or UK developed or, or Canadian developed, like any sort of, it's not a white developed game, it's a Japanese game, right? Um, but, and that's true, right? And and that, that deserves its own sort of special take in, in, in a lot of cases. But what individuals fail to understand is that globalization, right, and the interaction of Japanese culture has had a large influence from, you know, U.S. and European aspects, specifically in the in the realms of gameplay. In that, video games, right, a lot of like Final Fantasy and a lot of the MMOs that are developed within Japan, um, are they're they're taken from 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 U.S. games, right? They they get they get influenced. They're they're inspired by aspects of of you know, WoW and and Guild Wars and other games that that exist that 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 you know serve as the inspiration for um, many of these other aspects, and more specifically, the ways in which the stories are constructed display a direct Europeanness that really can't be ignored in a lot of cases, right? So, on the cover of Final Fantasy fourteen, the the sort of stand-in for the player is a is a is a white, blue-eyed, you know, brown-haired man, right? And that that person doesn't look Japanese in the slightest. That doesn't look well, obviously Japanese is a nationality, and you can look lots of different ways. <laughs> but you know, in 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 terms of of what one would would often expect in a stereotypical way, it doesn't it doesn't match that way. Um, nor does it match any other any other race for that thing other than whiteness. And there's an aspect of like, but why? What was the impetus behind that decision, right? And if you're familiar with like Miyazaki films and all these and like other like Studio Gilby stuff like that, right? Like a lot of their their movies are, you know, forms of they're inspired by forms of European uh, storytelling, specifically fairy tales, right? And you see this influence in a lot of different ways in anime and Japanese video games, in in so many in so many different ways that it specifically can't be ignored because when you are, say, a black person in the U.S. playing it. It you read it right as a text in a very different way. You view you understand that this character in Final Fantasy, despite it being made by a Japanese you know developers, is a white man. You under when the English uh, translations for the game place everybody with a European, whether or not it be British or Irish or any of the other European accents, right? That is a that is a direct understanding of a form of Europeanness being performed in the game itself right and that is when everybody when everybody is basically white when everybody has a, a, a sort of european accent when everybody has this sort of uh, thing you see this sort of uh japanese europeanness because it's not it's not directly european it's what it is what european and u.s identity looks like through a japanese cultural lens right mm -hmm. it is influenced because it is also important to remember that japan has its own direct culture and the way they interact with it but for some reason there is a fascination with uh europeanness in video games and it consistently gets to be played out again and again and again and 
it's fine, right? Do whatever, make Dark Souls, make Final Fantasy, and in many other cases. But as a black player, it then becomes right. Like if you if it's not it, it's it's one of the arguments is always like you know well Jap Japan is like an isolationist country and like they 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 only you know they only work within themselves and all these other things and whatnot. But you know if it's so isolationist, why why then are we displaying? Why do we have all these portrayals of whiteness? Why then do we must must we have the excuses of of things like Mokokuseki, which is the idea of racelessness uh, within anime, um, still perform the ways they do because Mokokuseki doesn't work for black people, right? If you're if it's a black if it's a black character anime character, you know it's black. If it's if it's um, you know you can get away with like whiteness and other things like that, right? Naruto is supposed to be quote unquote Japanese, but still blonde hair, blue eyed. Mm. Lots of other cases and and things like that. So. This sort of um, Japanese Europeanist that I, I I spoke about within the the presentation was more or less accounting for the fact that even when Japanese individuals make Final Fantasy or make the game, that there's still an aspect of whiteness that Black players must engage. Mm-hmm. So it's it's in terms of like form in terms of forming you know around theorizing around the work around looking at the games and things like that. You know, there there's still very much a, a, a sort of black-white dichotomy that does not escape. It's just now tinted by the lens of 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 global interpretations of blackness and global interpretations of whiteness, specifically within Japan. Mm. Yeah, I know that would make um, even more sense if you look at historically Japan being, you know, not only um, colonized after the war by mm. you know the U.S. I you know you, you want to use that term, mm. um, but in general, because the U.S. and generally Western uh, nation states, uh, you know, for example, in Europe, because there's such cultural hegemons, uh, that kind of creates a pervasive colorism. I've noticed within, uh, especially Asian countries, not only Japan but China as well. You have these, you know, uh, makeup that tries to whiten uh, skin, and not only you know Asian countries but Africa. I know there's certain businesses in which uh, they have skin whiteners. Yes. Um, and so it's interesting how how even this how even in digital spaces this becomes this colorism and this cultural hegemony becomes a reality that we have to deal with and it kind of takes away this any kind of techno utopian notion of like hey we can create a a, a virtual space in which it's going to be fully separated from all the problems of the world yeah. racism ah oh, don't worry about that <laughs> uh, sexism don't worry about that you know uh, hierarchical economic systems like capitalism don't worry about that it's this purification of these digital spaces that is portrayed as 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 uh, you know by a by a liberal kind of or neoliberal myth is deceiving i think yeah, and it entirely is, right? Because there there's the um the fears around technology, you know, go both ways in a lot of cases where it's like you can have this like you said, techno utopian state where everything is is separate is thing. But that that idea comes directly with the terms of like separation from the body. Um of and with separation of the body that that tends to follow, you know, separation of physical cultures and all these other things that 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 uh, comes attached to what it is to to have a human experience, right? Um, and it's, that's, that's BS, right? You are not separated. You, you do not cease to be a white man because you, you know, logged into World of Warcraft and you picked a torrent, right? You, you are still that, and that still influences the way you see the world and see, and see life. And it, it, 
shows up in all these these very different ways because whether or not the creators of the game you know made it out or the players of the game have have interpreted it because you know once an individual makes a game it's it's in the world it it becomes it takes on a life of its own right just like you know books are open to multiple interpretations or have multiple uses games will do the same um it it, it is important to remember that just because you are online and you have the anonymity doesn't mean that it, that anonymity is the same thing as as separation right and you can look back and and you know the the early 90s and 80s and things like that about like digital technologies and how you know it's, it's going to make us as human and you know, robotic and all these other things right all these fears which were obviously now seen to be um unfounded in many cases it it like humans don't technology doesn't make people less human it just it it just exacerbates or or heightens the sense of 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 humanity that 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 it it, it facilitates in many cases so there is um there's a big fear and and in a lot of cases there's there's a lot of stuff but yeah no yeah, you, it, it, the metaverse isn't going to be some utopia <laughs> the, it, in many cases and and because technology is made and created by humans who have biases they are going to contain these biases there's a reason why tons of cameras whether or not it be microsoft connect or you know any sort of you know newer apple product has a big has a hard time picking up black faces because they weren't coded with black people in mind it's the same it's the same way why the same reason why there aren't black individuals in a bunch of games you play because they weren't made by black people and they weren't coded with black people in mind mm-hmm. and you know there's there's i remember teaching a class once on um race and gaming and i was just going through the basics of it and somebody was like you know when does it end right you know like how like does every game need a black person in it and all these other things right and i'm just like no every game doesn't need a black person in it i still love god of war you know, one without any black people being in it. And, you know, Angraboda and, and her grandmother and, and Ragnarok was, was, you know, a different one. Um, you know, f- visibly, whether or not Kratos is black is, is, a, is a long, hot debate, especially within the black community. Um, but when every game continues a pattern of anti-blackness or ignoring black individuals, it, it, show, it shows who's making them. It, it, it ignores the realities of the real world because black people do exist right mm-hmm. it's the same reason why people get upset it's like when people get upset that you know there there's a lgbt character lgbtq character in their game and then they're like oh you know why is there always gay people in the game blah 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 blah. and the people get upset it's like well gay people exist mm-hmm. right <laughs> trans people exist right and and because games are made from the imaginations of, of their players and and you have such a diverse player base playing them it's important that you know people do feel represented in, in many cases so yeah, I don't need a black person in every game, but when it does happen, I'd like it to be done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's this slippery slope fallacy going through uh, a lot of kind of, uh, pro- you know, uh, is, is the reactionary rhetoric against a lot of progressive um, ideas or trying to have representation in games. I know there's a lot of also, there was this one game in which it, um, it was to do with like either World War One or World War Two, and they introduced a female uh, character who uh, you know was on the front lines, and there was this huge, huge outrage by you know a lot of like 
pretty kind of sexist uh, groupings that you know this is this is uh, you know not historically accurate and we shouldn't have any kind of female characters on the battlefield but you know you have you look at history and you know uh, women have also been deeply involved in mm -hmm. the machinations of wars yeah. um also as you know doctors on the battlefield as well um so it's 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 fascinating how you have this um dynamic and you know, there, there's one more concept I was um, really uh, interested in in discussing kind of how these ideas of because I know that a lot of kids, uh, and, you know, teens and young adults, they come into gaming and they, they see it as, you know, uh, again, escapism. And you've already insinuated that, you know, the, the, there isn't really an escape from reality. It's kind of it's very much inter interwoven. But they come into these ideas of, for example, esports, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Oh, this is going to be a, a a really great, freeing, li liberating kind of time." But I know you've done work on kind of looking at race and labor within esports, mm -hmm. and so I would be very interested in in what you've noticed there. Yeah, so there it 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 depends on a lot of things, right? So there's um like you said. I've been insinuating, but I can flat out say in, in a lot of cases, gaming isn't escapism, right? So it also depends on what the person means of, of, of escape. Specifically what people mean when they say escapism is like, I don't have to think about the hard day at work if I'm playing. And, you know, video games can very much work like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like being a form of escapism, of, of escaping reality, no, you're, you're like, I, whether or not I get called the N-word, you know, by a, a truck full of white guys driving on the street or within the game, I'm still being called the n-word like the 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 ideas of racism or the things like that that some people might look to type try to escape not escape right um maybe perhaps for for some other bodies that may be a possibility but you know in terms of just like how people relax and don't want to focus on things games can definitely work as like whatever mind numbing you want it to be you know throw on i don't know bejeweled and just slap away at some jewels right sure um but in terms of the the esports uh, labor aspect directly, right? Esports is 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 such a um, I hate using the term wild wild west, but it's it's such a, a moving and and sort of diverse space right now that there's a lot of things happening. So in in the um, esports in the color line article that I wrote, um, I did speak a lot about labor, specifically around PC gaming, because there's a lack of uh, black individuals being represented within the space um for a lot of reasons and i do a lot of theorization around that and speaking on why that happens specifically on the forms of historical forms of labor and how black labor has been utilized right mm -hmm. whether or not it, it it be in the overconsumption or the direct survival of labor through things like slavery to you know do things like build up a capitalistic economy that we now live in today um or, you know, blocking black people from labor because these are access to power where it's like, you know, black individuals, you know, we're going to block you from coding or from schools that will teach you about, you know, internet or computer technologies, right? Because this is, this is a form of, of, of work and, te and, and technology that we want to protect in some cases, right? So there, there's always been a shifting of what labor black individuals are able to take on without, you know, sort of directly disrupting a larger white, you know, hegemonic uh, uh, power structure in a lot of cases, right? So whether or not they, they, so, and you can obviously look through plenty of examples of history of, of like the barring and accepting of, of black labor in many cases, and it takes a lot of work to move that, that sort of line, 
So taking that sort of his, sort of historical understanding of black labor and then applying that to this esports space in a lot of cases, right? Because black labor has always been abused in a lot of cases for when it is usable or available in a lot of cases in esports where you don't see any black people at all. You have to sort of understand like where is the like what is the purpose that's serving in a lot of cases, right? And I go on to talk about how it is, you know, it's for lots of reasons in a lot of cases where you know, not only is games like League of Legends and other PC games harder for Black individuals to access um, because of, of, you know, aspects of, of not having, you know, equipment and other things like that, which I hate to talk about because, of course, Black people own computers and lots of things like that, but it is a realistic um, aspect of it, of just, like, computer equipment is expensive, right? So it's, it is, it's one barrier uh, to, to, to the gameplay, but also in that the structuring of, Sport games specifically is not like black labor is not visible to it right in a lot of ways where you know the recruitments of star players and other things because it'll always be like we'll take the best player it doesn't matter like we don't choose players based on race mm. but where the recruiters go to recruit right is going to have a big influence of it how these individuals are able to acquire the skill that they have right um of just being supported you know like lots of black people just can't go on and play you know league of legends 20 hours a day to 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 be as good as I think because you have work you have things there there are other structural issues beyond gaming that form barriers uh, for Black individuals to be able to participate in a lot of PC gaming and then the esports structure has not been able to equate itself there yet because it's just like we take it's it's because they work on a system of merit that ignores what Black labor is within the space right. And it's problematic because you have all these black folk that are playing the game, that are performing the labor, that are streaming or doing or forming communities within their space that allow other black people to feel safe, which directly and indirectly makes these companies money, whether or not it's, it's, it's in WoW or League of Legends or the other things where they're buying skins or paying their monthly purchase, right? That the companies themselves are not doing, whether or not it's, it's like esports systems that are maintained by companies like Riot's, uh, excuse me, Riot's esports section, which they're doing a lot better of a job by trying to work with HBCUs and other things like that to build up their, their community, or if it's just, you know, unnamed communities in other spaces, but the, the, the networks themselves of, of esports labor for PC games specifically, because console games is a very different space than you have EVO and other things like that where Black people have a big showing out, right? Um, but within PC gaming, and which is often the larger and the higher paid aspects of it, there's a, there's a big disconnect of acknowledging uh, Black skill, Black labor, and um, Black identity within those spaces. And it become very, very quickly uh, overpopulated. Uh, overpopulated is not the right word, but completely filled uh, with uh, white and Asian bodies um, versus, you know, accepting other forms of labor. And, 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 other cases like that so there's a there's a lot of things um to break down there and you know, had we the time to break down the the sort of pc versus uh console gaming and also the sort of irony that you know a lot of console gamers can never reach the amount of, of payout that pc gamers can because they don't have the same amount of leverage and it's often like evo is like you enter a tournament and you know league of legends uh worlds is, is you entering a team with lots of sponsors and support and all these other things is is very different but yeah the, the usage of 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 black labor within the spaces is is very interesting to say mm. you have this myth of meritocracy then really yes. animating 
uh, esports and the esports scene, and you know, of course, broader and it's it's a broader kind of conception of of our society currently. I think it it's another kind of you know nail to really uh, showcase how the digital space isn't away from racism, isn't away from these kind of problematic realities uh, of uh, you know, I guess late stage capitalism uh, the latest <laughs> <laughs> but. It, it's really hard to say um but yeah you'd have to deal with the system systematic inequalities plaguing marginalized communities mm-hmm. in order to really have a quote-unquote uh you know meritocratic system exactly um and you know uh it's been a great uh interview with you i do have one more question leaving it into more of the personal because we focus on a lot of the uh kind of uh, your research but also you know on external society and culture and media studies Mm -hmm. um i am very curious as to where you draw what wells from which wells do you draw your strength from in order to combat uh, the negative reality is imposed onto you by you know uh, external society you know of course racism and yeah masculinity oh it's 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 just a level of desensitization like i've like i said i grew up as a kid in, uh, of, of the internet right like and these chat rooms get real dark real fast and i've definitely been on dark sides of the internet but i am largely immune to a lot of the the things people can say so it it's um it it is it is it's it's just a level of desensitization like i've i've been you know dealing with this my entire life and whether or not it be physically or digitally it's not going to change i hope it does and 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 but as of now doing my work there are i have so many moments every time somebody says something racist to me i just add it to the tally write down a little note and i'm just like ah okay this person said i smell like a nigger this person said i smell like blah 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 this person you know this person decided to to you know harp on a, B, and C. This person decided to throw the match because, you know, I, I had a black avatar, right? There's there's always something to to think about. And, you know, it's you know, I, I, I do have an impetus to wanna to want to see the space become better in a in a lot of cases, but you know, it's 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 um it's just a day to day. I'm not going to let people's disgusting behavior ruin what I, you know, want to do for a living and and you know. The enjoyment that I get from from interacting with with so many you know wonderful black folk and and not only black folk but everybody who's who's out here just making beautiful art and you know creating these beautiful communities on on space because there's you know we've talked a lot about the the racism a lot about the the you know terrible aspects of of the thing but there is there is there is a lot of joy there is a lot of um wonderful things happening within these space, whether or not it be the vulnerability or the the finding help or the coping or all these other aspects of it. Uh, people really are there for each other and there are wonderful people like another one of my advisors, Kishana Gray and Javon Gord and you know all these other people that are that are writing specifically on black joy because right, we are returning to these spaces for a reason, right? There's there is a lot of love to be had within gaming sites. And I do think it's it's incredibly important to to focus on them. Even though the conversation is always drawn, you know, directly towards the 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 friction, towards the towards the the aspects of like how are you dealing with racism, rather than like you know how are you you know just loving your community sort of thing. But yeah. So if you had a uh, let's say a, 
a young child or a teenager or a young adult come to you and, and you know, ask you what, what should they do when they're experiencing these kinds of insults within these digital spaces or even, you know, outside of the digital spaces, what kind of advice would you give to them to deal with it? Yeah, so I do. I have two daughters. So that that's 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 one thing. And when they begin, you know, exploring the internet, which will inevitably happen on their own, it's um to remember that, you know, these things do exist and it's common and every black person has to, you know, have the you know, be careful, the police may treat you this way, or the, you know, your coworkers may do this, or, you know, the school classmates in school will say this sort of thing. And I remember my daughter coming home when a boy told her that he didn't play with brown girls. Um, mm. And my advice was to a, understand that the world can be a crappy place and that people are going to do things like that, but those actions don't define you. And to take the precautions right of just like always be aware of, of what can happen and that you know the again these actions don't define you and that you will you will be great and whoever you are you know despite what people will say so it's um unfortunately i can't say like hey there's a magic way to avoid racism but you know find your community find uh find the places where you do feel safe and comfortable and you know leverage that as as, as best you can because it, the world gets rough and there's not there's there's there this is why people are doing the work but you know there's there's not much else to do unfortunately so yeah the the companies are not at the level to be able to um well, i mean they can they could but they don't so <laughs> there's there's not enough structural support whether or not it, it it'd be gaming or outside to you know start making the changes that you would like to see so it, it's um my advice is find your community and and Remember, it's not it's not you. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Akil. This has been an amazing conversation. I have learned a lot, and I know that the audience has probably learned a lot as well. I'm it has been a great pleasure to have you on. I'm very grateful. Thank you again. And um, if you do have any uh, you know links you want to put in or any kind of uh, books or articles you want to advertise that is also the oh case. man i there's so much there's so many people doing great work you know check out kishana gray check out javon gore check out you know samantha blackman check out all of the wonderful black scholars you know working on games and beyond that there there is just wonderful stuff to read you know you're interested in digital anthropology you know check out uh tom bailstorff and all this stuff but as for me my name is fairly googleable there's not too many akils um so Akil Fletcher, I think I'm on Twitter. I am at Akil Fletcher, which because I'm basic, very simple. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that's about it. Enjoy. All right. Thank you so much. Of course.